And that's all we have to- Are you ready to face the facts? Yes. Then meet your illustrious host. Tonight on SYN Digital Radio, we bring you another edition of The Space Explorers of Space. Telling the stories of those brave souls who risked their lives for space. Tonight we bring you the story of Edwina J.F. Middleton, who in 1953 went on a daring, unauthorized mission to Venus, never to return the same way again. Join us as we go on another adventure with the Space Explorers of Space. Edwina J.F. Middleton, a hero of our generation and indeed of her generation. Born January 22nd, 1924 in Schooner, Colorado, and died January 21st, 1964, just 39 minutes before her 40th birthday. Her mother, Eleanor Spencer, was a devoted mother who during the day worked as a hat stand and during the night went to sleep in a bed with her husband, Ignatius J.F. Middleton, father of Edwina and professional bootlicker. Edwina led a peaceful but curious childhood. From a young age, she showed a keen interest in space, spending every free moment gazing through telescopes, sometimes from the big end, but more often than not, through the little end. Her parents, while supportive of her hobbies, often lamented that she never attempted to pursue something useful, like licking boots or being a hat stand. For her 10th birthday, Edwina's parents bought her a telescope. And finally, Edwina could spend her days gazing through a telescope of her own and stop pestering the neighborhood astronomers, for which they were all very grateful. It was on one such day, gazing through her telescope, that Edwina spotted a faint but bright light far away. That light captivated Edwina more than any other light in the magical wonderland of space. That light was a planet, and that planet was Venus, shining bright. The planet of Venus. This week on Tales from Somewhere, we bring you the chilling, spine-tingling tale of the Garbage Beast of KM5. So sit down, hold your loved ones close, and listen as we begin Tales from Somewhere. This week's tale takes place in the cold, wintry expanses of downtown Dusseldorf in the year of 1764. The townsfolk were all gathering in the square to celebrate the arrival of their beloved monarch, King Heinrich I. Word was going round that this arrival would be the biggest and most exciting arrival of them all, bigger than when he arrived in the circle and the triangle. For this time, King Heinrich had just finished a tour of the most distant outposts of the Empire and was expected back in his home city any day now. For weeks, the townsfolk marched into the square awaiting that glorious moment when their king rode in on the royal horse. But for weeks, no such moment came, yet every day they made their pilgrimage into the square. And on one such day, the people of Dusseldorf had assembled in the square 
shivering and miserable, yet hopeful that this would be the day their king would return, when suddenly a shout was heard over the rooftops. At once, everyone looked up and spied Marta, the old crone who stood on the top of the church tower and proclaimed to the villagers, Beware, beware the king! He hath been to the edges of the kingdom! He hath been to the city of Stun, where the rivers do flow with gold! He hath been to the town of Smingleshopf, where many gymnasts do leap over ten foot tall! But yet, and in addition, hath he been to the village of Krputsk, where it is said do lie the remains of a deep and ancient vessel descended from the heavens from a land most strange and far away, a distant planet known only as KM5, a planet much like ours, but which for eons has been collecting the remains of other lands surrounding itself and the refuse that it spotted grey antlers. Now, if we keep deathly quiet, we might be able to sneak up on the birds as they congregate on this roof. It looks like even more of the doe birds are flying in. It's almost like a little doe bird party happening here. Of course, they have extra keen peripheral vision, so they can sense when their antlers are getting too close to one another. It's actually quite extraordinary. At any given time, only a certain number of doe birds are able to fit in a given space. And there's some very complex mathematical formulae that govern the spatial configurations of the birds. And these are formulae which have eluded zoologists and mathematicians alike for centuries, and yet formulae which the birds have internalized from birth. In fact, if a doe bird tries to enter a space which has a maximal number of doe birds already occupying this space, the other birds will gang up and brutally... <laughs> At night at the drugstore on 5th and Broadway, clinging to a bottle of booze and a false hope because a false hope was better than no hope at all and the booze was all I had besides that false hope. All I had, of course, except the ripped up dress I was wearing and the frown I was born with. I was born frowning, they told me. That explained a lot. I was also wearing shoes. That night at the drugstore, that is, not when I was born. I was not born wearing shoes. Imagine how the heels would have torn my mother apart the way years of poverty never could. Yeah, all I had was booze, a false hope, a ripped-up dress, my frown, and my shoes. And obviously skin, muscle, blood, bones, and my various internal and external organs, including but not limited to my spleen, my liver, my kidneys, my blood. So beware, beware the king, for although he may seem most regal, a touch more than regal he may be, whensoever it be that you see him next. When she had finished, the entire town was in a hushed silence. Then a murmur went over the crowd, at first soft, but then growing and growing in volume until an almighty cry of protest erupted from the townsfolk, and they started throwing rocks at the old woman in the church tower for daring to besmirch the name of their beloved king. Hundreds of pebbles and stones were flung at the poor crone until she... Astronaut's goal. It was there in Astronaut's goal that Edwina met her best friend and future companion, Chinchilla, a large tarantula. Chinchilla was also from a small family that lived in Colorado, but somehow Edwina and Chinchilla never met each other growing up, even though they both used the same astronomer's telescopes. 
Over the next three years, attending astronaut school, Edwina and Chinchilla grew to be the best of friends, never leaving each other's sides. In their final year, it came time to choose which mission they wanted to go on. Unanimously, they both decided they wanted to go to Venus, that planet in the sky that had mesmerized them both from a young age. But the authorities wouldn't accept them. They were too young and inexperienced. Venus was dangerous and unknown. If they wanted to go to Venus, they would have to wait 17 more years and fly to six other planets. This was a grave blow to the hopes and dreams of both Edwina and Chinchilla. But they would not give up, for they were intrepid and fearless. They quit the astronaut school just one month before they were due to graduate and decided to build their own spaceship without the support of the government or any research facility. And so they set to work, tirelessly slaving away without sleep or food or water, concentrating their efforts on nothing but the construction of the rocket ship that would take them to the planet Venus, their intended destination that they had... The birds, of course, not to be confused with the ray birds, which are the birds that live closest to the sun. They are found on the highest treetops and highest mountaintops on Earth, and we'll be looking at them on the next episode of Nature Finders. But now, we're still hiding here next to this rooftop, waiting for the right moment to get a bit closer to these doe birds, who are bobbing along as they do, taking extra care to avoid bumping into each other's antlers. They're really quite... Corpse of the Crone. The villagers all resumed their faithful vigil, hoping that the king would appear soon. And just at that moment, a shape became visible from behind the distant hill. A shape they all thought was their beloved monarch, King Heinrich I, back at long last from his expedition of the outer parts of the empire. And so the townsfolk gave a loud cheer. But as the shape got closer and closer, the cheer turned to screams of terror as they realized what the shape was. No sooner had the villagers begun rejoicing at the sight of their returned monarch when it became all too apparent that this was not their returned monarch at all, but an enormous beast covered with all manner of discarded items and an unholy stench filled the square. The stench of trash, of refuse, of garbage. Yes, it was the garbage beast of KM5. And as swiftly as the foul odor overcame the townsfolk in the square, the beast began running around and biting people in the face, slicing them with the ends of tin cans and choking them in paper bags. It would have been plastic, but it was 1764. Panic rose as the beast went on a frenzied rampage, disemboweled. 1952, at last the spaceship was ready. It took years and years of toiling by Edwina and Chinchilla, but they made it. Their own hand-built spacecraft, made entirely out of scrap bits of metal and regular bits of metal. State-of-the-art circuitry and an efficient use of fuel. Those three years of astronaut school did not fail them, even if they didn't graduate. They had built a spaceship using their own bare hands and tarantula legs, which, being like a human finger, had the dexterity capable of attending to the most minute of detail. Soon, it was time for liftoff. Eager to get out into space and to the delights of Venus, the two budding astronauts immediately packed their suitcases into their rocket and began ignition proceedings. town was looking for me, but they couldn't find me. I dyed my hair blonde and everyone knew that I was brunette. 
Everyone, that is, except the people who didn't know me in the first place. And I'd make sure they'd never know me. I couldn't know any more people. Not now. In fact, I needed to know fewer people. And the way it was going, I was knowing fewer and fewer people. They were all getting murdered. Everyone who'd ever known me. If only I knew who it was who was murdering those people, then maybe that person could get murdered as well. But that would mean knowing more people, and that would mean time. And I didn't have the time to know more people. I didn't have any kind of time at all. In fact, all I had was the booze and my friend. Yeah, we got a, we got half a toad. Four, three, two, one, and lift off. The space vessel Edwina and Chinchilla had built was in the air, hurtling at mind-boggling speeds through the Earth's atmosphere and out into the vast domain of the cosmos. Trajectory? The Venus. They were on a straight course for the second planet from the sun, that planet they had always been in love with. Three whole years it took them to reach that planet, but of course, years in space are not the same length as years on Earth. So for everyone waiting for them at home, it was simply five minutes. Five minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're in space, it's three whole years. Three whole years floating through the depths of space, eating nothing but tin cheese. They had wanted to pack more, but Chinchilla mixed up the order at the grocery store and ended up getting 1,000 tins of cheese. So, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in that rocket ship became very repetitive. Fortunately, Venus was in sight. But they had one more obstacle to face. Yes, that tricky problem. The atmosphere of Venus was ten times heavier than the atmosphere of Earth. And so to land on the surface of Venus, they would need to drop a significantly large amount of weight. Fortunately, they still had all those tins of cheese that of course, this situation is rather similar to the situation during the mating season of the shrill-backed alligator. Except, instead of the antlers that the doe birds have, these alligators have a sort of spiny arrangement on the side of their tail. The left side, usually, unless they're left-footed, in which case it's the right side. And so, what these alligators do is when the males are vying for the attention of the females, they'll roll over backwards and project the tail upwards, so it resembles a single antler and then the other males will attempt to slice at it with their own tails, like a sort of piñata in a way, and then if the male manages to break that tail, then the alligator gets to mate with the female. But if no alligators break that tail, then the alligator who is on its back will roll back over and give a loud sort of hooting sound, and then he will mate with the female. So, not entirely like the doe bird, but there is a sort of similarity there, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> them limb from limb, the shocking pungent aroma of the garbage overwhelming the crowd. People were running around screaming, and if they were not screaming, they were fainting, and those who fainted would instantly be eaten alive by the beast, the garbage beast of KM5. And the more people it ate, the larger it grew, until it became as tall as the church tower. Roaring and picking up villagers all around, suffocating them with food scraps and bashing their heads with broken blacksmith's tools, the blood. Yes, success! The landing vehicle was in smithereens, but at least Edwina and Chinchilla, the space tarantula, had survived. Panting and gasping, they stood up. They had made it to Venus. But things were not so simple. 
No sooner had they stood up on the rocky surface of Venus when they were instantly captured by the Venetians. Yes, little did Edwina know that the citizens of Venice, Italy, had organized their own space mission to Venus and had arrived there in 1946 and formed a colony of their own. A colony of cave dwellers who rejected the harsh climate of the planet and created their own more temperate climate safe for human inhabitancy. Edwina and Chinchilla were taken prisoner by the naturalized Venetians and brought to the deepest cave on the planet, where the- really quite vicious if they want to be. Their antlers are really quite sharp, and there's no telling how they'll react. But I'm going to get a bit closer now, see if I can touch one of them. They've got very soft sort of fluffy plumage, even though it looks incredibly stringy. But it really is very soft. Going closer again now. There's quite a lot of them, but hopefully they won't notice if- Ow! Oh god, it's just- Oh, ow! The, the fucking antlers! Oh, oh god, I'm running away now, but they're all following me! Jesus! Ah! There were not many villagers left at this point. The few that still remained alive huddled in the local tavern, which until then had been unnoticed by the now giant beast. They had to work out a plan. The villagers racked their brains as the sounds of shrieking grew more intense outside. Suddenly, one clever young fishmonger stood up on a table and exclaimed, Friends, do we forget the words of the crone? The beast, she said, is from the planet KM5, the planet where there is no rice. Therefore, the beast must be allergic to rice. Let us collect all the rice we can lay our hands on and go out there and shower it with powerful grains until it is no more. The villagers knew this was their only hope. So they crept out of the tavern and started gathering bags of rice that would... It's Johnny. Oh, Johnny. It was always Johnny. Even when it was Fred, it was Johnny. Yeah, it was always Johnny. Especially when it was Johnny, which is who it was tonight, which is who it was every night. Johnny. It was Johnny. It was always Johnny. Yes, deep in those caves, the Venetians subjected them to humiliating tasks that would prove their worth to them. But the worst of it was that if they failed the tasks, they would be destroyed. This was the lowest point of Edwina's life. And then came an even lower point. The Venetians asked her to lick their boots and hold their hats, or else Chinchilla would have to die. It was a grave, grave day for Edwina, as she admitted she had not the ability. And in a bitter way, Edwina's parents were vindicated. If only she had looked through telescopes less and learned a bit about licking boots and being a hat stand, then maybe her best friend Chinchilla the Space Tarantula would still be alive. The doughbirds should have been extinct by now with those stupid antlers. They just get in the way for fuck's sake. They never deserve to live in the first As the last whales escaped the mouth of the beast and as it gave off its final wafts of stench, its shape began to shift. The scraps of litter began transforming into skin, and the discarded cans turned into eyeballs, and also the other parts of a face to reveal a face. And it was with utter horror that the villagers observed which face it was, for it was a face they had all known very well, and a face they had waited for for many, many weeks. It was the face of their beloved monarch, King Heinrich I, the monarch whose return they had longed for in the Dusseldorf Square. And here he was now, as dead as the day he died, lying in front of them. But though the king was dead, so too was the garbage beast of KM5. Vanquished by the villagers, 
No more would it ravage the lands, destroying town after town, village after village. No longer would the people be terrorized by its smelly ways. The reign of terror. Carrots, 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 carrots. Nations finally let Edwina go and shut her back out into space together with her dead tarantula friend. Three more years Edwina had to face on the return trip to Earth. Again, only five minutes for those waiting, but as we know, it was three long and sad years alone on the spaceship. There was nothing left to eat as they had used up all the tens of cheese trying to land the spacecraft, and so the only way Edwina could survive was by eating her giant tarantula. To the drugstore on 5th and Broadway, the drugstore I started out in, it was over. Oh, Johnny, it was always over, even before it began. Maybe next time it wouldn't be over, but until then, I was going to sit here and stare into a friendly bottle of booze. You've been listening to Smoke on the Edge of the Sidewalk, where the streets have no end and there's danger around every corner. Tune in again next week and listen to more stories from the part of town that's always dark and the lamps have nowhere to And yet, some say that still now if you go past the square in Dusseldorf, or the outskirts of Kromsk, there can be caught the faint whiffs of distant trash. So just to be careful, if you see litter lying on the ground, pick it up and put it in the litter box, just in case. You never know when the garbage beast of KM5 will strike again. That was this week's tale, The Garbage Beast of KM5. Don't forget to tune in again next week to hear more tales from some... Turned back to Earth the same year she left, but she was not the same. She was not the same at all. In fact, she was so much not the same that she was different. No longer was she excited by the celestial bodies of the universe. No longer could she muster any interest in what went on in the depths of the cosmos. When she came back to Earth, all she would do was sit in a chair and look up at Venus. Yes, Venus. That same planet that had mystified her at a young age was haunting her now that she had been there and come back. Yes, she was different. And she would remain different until her tragic demise in 1964. Alone, penniless, and still staring off into the distant skies, forgotten by all. But not forgotten by us. Yes, Edwina J.F. Middleton, pioneer adventurer, we remember her on The Space Explorers of Space. Join us again next week as we bring you another in the series of The Space Explorers of Space. enjoyed tonight's adventure anthology edition of the illustrious fact show devised written and performed by ben volchok keep up to date on facebook.com slash illustrious facts and tune in next week for another illustrious episode